There are at least two ways in which sit-ins and civil disobedience and whatever, at least two major ways in which it can occur. One, when a law exists, is promulgated, which is totally unacceptable to people, and they violate it again and again and again till it's rescinded, appealed. But there's another way, there's another way. Sometimes the form of the law is such as to render impossible its effective violation. There's a method to have it repealed. Sometimes the grievances of people are more, extend more to more than just the law, extend to a whole mode of arbitrary power, a whole mode of arbitrary exercise of arbitrary power. And that's what we have here. We have an autocracy which, run, which runs this university. It's managed. We were told the following. If President Kerr actually tried to get something more liberal out of the regents in his telephone conversations, why didn't he make some public statement to that effect? And the answer we received from a well-meaning liberal was the following. He said, would you ever imagine the manager of a firm making a statement publicly in opposition to his board of directors? That's the answer. Well, I ask you to consider. If this is a firm, and if the Board of Regents are the Board of Directors, and if President Kerr, in fact, is the manager, and I tell you something, the faculty are a bunch of employees, and we're the raw materials, but we're a bunch of raw materials that don't mean to be, have any process upon us, don't mean to be made into any product, don't mean, don't mean to end up being bought by some clients of the university, be they the government, be they industry, be they organized labor, be they anyone, we're human beings. That brings me to the second mode of civil disobedience. There's a time when the operation of the machine becomes so odious, makes you so sick at heart that you can't take part. You can't even passively take part. And you've got to put your bodies upon the gears and upon the wheels, upon the levers, upon all the apparatus, and you've got to make it stop. And you've got to indicate to the people who run it, to the people who own it, that unless you're free, the machine will be prevented from working at all. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode, two-part episode of Facts versus Rhetoric. Thank you very much for joining us today. That was the great Mario Savio, a 22-year-old University of California at Berkeley student that was speaking in December of 1964. They had some big freedom of speech issues on UC Berkeley, and that was right on the heels of the academic Senate voted an overwhelming majority to support his free speech movement known as the FSM. And just the day prior to that, he was dragged off the stage at the Greek theater by police for trying to speak. So it's a very, very moving piece of audio. And the crazy thing is the kid's 22 years old. So I don't know if we're going to get that from our 22-year-old youth of today, but thank God for Mario Sabo. Welcome back to a two-part Facts versus Rhetoric, just midterm election reminder. Two episodes of just some stuff to keep in mind and to really think about as we move into another election cycle. And I'm sure most listeners to this podcast are not the vote blue no matter who, card-carrying members of the Democratic Party. However, if you do know anyone like that, please share these uh, two episodes with them. And if you're a card-carrying member of the Republican Party, this message of today's podcast is for you as much as it is for your political opponents. 
and anyone in between in the other half the country that doesn't even vote. Today we'll be looking at the political landscape to illustrate the need for we the people to pay better attention to our elected officials and how they perform for us. Throughout this podcast, I'm going to try to challenge all of you to forget your political affiliations and just use your own critical thinking to navigate the bullshit that spews from the mainstream media and the politicians. We have been on cruise control for a long time, and can you see where that has gotten us? A good saying I like is, you get the government you deserve. Look at the first 125 years of this country compared to the last 125 years of this country. You know, we came off of a revolutionary war. Every citizen was well aware of the dangers of the tyranny that results from a big and overreaching government. You know, the taxation without representation, no freedom to speak your mind, no life, liberty, no pursuit of happiness. And those people lived under both systems, and they, which gave them a unique perspective. They lived under the tyranny, and then they actually got to experience their freedom. And here in 2022, it's hard for us to be able to relate, much less wrap our heads around what that might have been like. You know, all we can do is imagine and, and fantasize what would it be like if our elected officials and citizens were actually on the same page of freedom and liberty. One of my first podcasts was on groups and the dangers of them. I feel like many people do that groups are very dangerous. And the main reason for that is because the group ideology is put before your own. That, that's the identity politics. That's what that means when you hear that shit. Your identity is with the group and really not your own. You're secondary in that relationship. And the biggest hazard of the identity politics is that you're robbed of your ability to think critically. And that just has a cascading negative effect on everything downstream of that. You're unable to spot issues within your own group. Or if by some miracle you do spot them, you're unable to point them out because you'll get ostracized by said group. And this is why it's so important to be objective and call a spade a spade, even if it's within your own group. If you're consistent in your philosophy, whatever that may be, it will allow you to be objective. And being objective is essential in fixing any problem. I digress. The best we can do is fantasize about no more unconstitutional laws in the books, you know, no income tax, no foreign interventions that aren't approved by Congress, no needless government regulation and bureaucracy. We can only fantasize about buying a car and then just driving it without the bullshit. You know, you got to go to the DMV, but you can't just show up. You know, you got to make an appointment to apply to enjoy your freedom of the open road. So you make an appointment, you wait, you wait, you know, car sitting in the driveway, can't drive it yet. You finally get an appointment. And what does that get you? That gets you the audience with a government employee who gets paid by you, but you're in their world now. So you better bring your A game and have all those forms filled out correctly. If not, no soup for you. Try again, stupid. But if your forms are filled out correctly, then you get to make it to level two. Whew. And hopefully you've collected all those coins along the way in level one because you're going to need all those coins to pay for the right to drive your own car legally. You're going to need some coins for your registration fee. You need coins for some sales tax. You need some coins for that title fee. And if you're one coin short, no soup for you. Back in the game, go collect some more coins, earn them, beg from your masters at the DMV don't give a shit. If you are able to afford all of these taxes, you get a registration. Woo, shit. Eight by 10 piece of paper stating you successfully kneeled before the creator, showed respect, paid the taxes, kissed the ring. In exchange, you're allowed to drive that car legally, but only for about seven days because then you got to get an inspection sticker. 
and that's for your safety. You'll need to take more of your precious time and find one of the state's approved vendors to certify that your vehicle is safe to drive because you obviously cannot make that determination on your own, even though you'll be driving around your family yourself. Can you go to your mechanic? Nope. No, no, no. You silly peasant. We'll choose what works best for you. Besides, we need the money from the thing that we're making you do for our pockets. Now go enjoy your freedom. We have allowed you to have at least one to two years, and then you'll need to repeat the process over and over again. So good. You got one to two years to enjoy the shitty roads and bridges and additional toll booths that are along the way. And don't worry about bringing your coins. We'll just bill you. And if you don't pay it, you won't be able to renew your driving privileges next year. Now you may be thinking to yourself, as you're changing your tire in the side of the road as a result of a huge pothole, I thought my coins and all the tax money and all the shit I've paid to afford these privileges were to repair and maintain our roads. <laughs> no, 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 you naive simpleton. Those coins are for us to dole out to our friends who got us elected. We have to put a deposit down on the drag show for our kindergartners. Like I said, we can only fantasize and poke fun about what our lives would actually be like without all of this bipartisan government interference regulation. And since we've been playing identity politics and not holding our own elected officials accountable for eroding our freedoms away slowly over time here, we are at a crossroads at another midterm election. The blue team has had two years of absolute power, right? The presidency, the Senate, the House, they own the mainstream media, big tech, big pharma, all the late night talk shows, Hollywood, the music industry. I mean, they control every facet of the narrative and politics, and they have the power to do anything at any time. And you, and you need to realize that because they could pass a bill tomorrow if they wanted to, because they control the House of Representatives and quick civics lessons. Bills are introduced by the Speaker of the House. The Speaker needs to introduce a bill for the House to vote on. So they could introduce a bill tomorrow that outlaws illegal immigrants from coming into this country illegally. Nick, she would only introduce that legislation because her husband got caught with his pants down with an illegal alien. To that, I'd say it could happen to anyone. Anyway, the House could introduce a bill. They could approve the bill without any Republican support because they had the majority. Bill goes to the Senate. Same thing happens there. They approve it without any Republican support. Now, listen, the Republicans could try to filibuster it. But if they really, if the Democrats really, really wanted to pass it, they could just pass a law getting rid of the filibuster. So we don't even need to go down that road. So the Senate approves it. Boom, goes to the president's desk, signs it into law. Bam, done. Then the mainstream media will get out and tell you how awesome the fucking bill is and convince us all that it's for our own safety. And any proponents of that bill are white supremacists with ties to Ukrainian Nazis. Uh, whoops. I mean, ties to the Kremlin. <sighs> I forgot we're supporting the Ukrainian Nazis. I get, I get confused because my default is to not support any Nazis, but that's me. But the mainstream media has done such a good job pointing out the differences between the two groups of Nazis, right? The German Nazis are bad, Ukrainian Nazis, good. So I apologize for misspeaking. I'm a product of our country's public education system. And back in my day, we didn't have the resources in our schools like we do today. You know, my day, we had books like George Orwell's 1984, Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird, Ray Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451, Mark Twain's Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. You know, very archaic books that really didn't have any lessons to be learned, right? Not like the lucky scholars of today who have access to literary gems like Genderqueer, Lawn Boy, All Boys Aren't Blue, Not All Nazis Are Created Equal. You know, some of those good ones but I keep getting sidetracked. My blue friends, 
You have to look at the last two years and be objective. Demand more from your party instead of making excuses for them in the form of demonizing the other party because you can't defend any of their policies. A vaccine mandate for an experimental drug that doesn't work, endorsing censorship of free speech, adding a trillion dollars to the national debt in a year, letting Russia invade Ukraine. Right? They have no policy wins. And if you think they do, please shoot me an email. I'd love to get enlightened. I do want to be as informed as I can. But from where I'm sitting, there hasn't been any policy that's been passed that is A, constitutional, B, in the benefit of the general welfare of this country. Now, my red friends, you please don't be so naive to think that your party will fix all that ails this country either. I mean, your party's been complicit in getting us here as well. I mean, the point is we need to ditch the identity politics and start identifying as individual Americans who value their freedoms and anyone who gets in the way will be collectively called out regardless of the little initial after their name in parentheses. And if they don't advocate for the will of the people, then we replace them. I mean, you know, vote them out or shit. Better yet, we just apply so much pressure that they either resign or change course. Remember back in the day, your neighbors would show up at the, at the house of the politician in the middle of the night with torches and pitchforks? Those politicians got the fucking message real quick. But we keep demonizing free speech, and now, now it's, it's bullying or whatever the hell. They, they have to keep changing the rules because they don't like to be criticized. If we continue to squash free speech, if we continue to demonize pressuring elected officials, then we cannot be surprised when we find ourselves in the situation we do today. Look around. Everything's broken. The government, the schools, the economy, healthcare. It's not the time to throw your hands up and say, well, you know, there's nothing I can do about it. Or, or worse, just hide behind your political party and just blame the other team instead of acknowledging the obvious failings of your own party, of the other party, of all the parties. We need to think critically. And instead of saying, oh, I'm a Democrat, I'm a Republican, I'm an independent, I'm a progressive, I'm a libertarian. So instead of saying whatever group you're in, you are an American we need to start acting like one. And whatever group they try to put you in, we need to resist that shit because you are an American. And start acting like one before they cancel the American dream, censor the Constitution, and turn you into property of the state. I come to this magnificent house of worship tonight because my conscience leaves me no other choice. Values will lay hand on the world order and say of war. This way of settling differences is not just. This business of burning human beings with napalm, filling our nation's homes with orphans and widows, of injecting poisonous drugs of hate. interpreted to mean, unfortunately, by the bigots who run the examiner, for example. That doesn't mean that you have to break anything. 1,000 people sitting down someplace, not letting anybody buy, not letting anything happen, can stop any machine, including this machine, and it will stop. We're going to do the following. And the greater the number of people, the safer they'll be, and the more effective it will be. We're going to march up to the second floor of Sproul Hall. 
and we're going to conduct our lives for a while in the second floor of Sproul Hall. We'll do something which hasn't occurred at this university in a good long time. We're going to have real classes up there. There are going to be freedom schools conducted up there. We're going to have classes on the First and Fourteenth Amendments. We're going to spend our time learning about the things this university is afraid that we know. We're going to learn about freedom up there, and we're going to learn by doing. I'd like to introduce one last person, one last person before we enter Sproul Hall. The person is Joan Baez. Yeah. 